Alright, hello everybody. Today is Friday. Another Anything Goes Friday. Welcome to the show. Today we're going to be talking about Jack the Ripper, but I just want to remind you guys that you can download this program for free as a podcast at Launchpad One. There's a link to that in the description box. You can also go over to Amazon.com, have a look at the book Killer on a White Horse by me, Ned Dahan. It's a novel, murder mystery, and there's always the wonderful Teespring page that has loads of merchandise to uh, have a little bit of a preview of. Okay, now to get right into today's topic. I started reading up on Jack the Ripper because this year I was planning on doing some types of memorials and tributes for the victims, but then I decided that I was just going to use the anniversary dates of the Ripper victims, beginning with Polly Nichols all the way to Mary Kelly, as days of actual resting in peace for the um, women who were murdered at the hands of the Ripper or any alternative theory out there. I got the idea from Brian Davis of the Tate LaBianca radio program, and I'll share something about him later on. But I was actually sitting at the laundromat last week, and my clothes were in the dryer. One at the time to go by, I got on their Wi-Fi, and I found something called the Mammoth Book of Jack the Ripper. And this is quite the different type of true crime book, and I really wish that I had read the Amazon description before I had tried to read these sections. Some of it had been posted on Google Books, and I'm going to go through a lot of that in this episode, and it's going to be the primary source to discuss. However, I would just like to read the description that has been posted on Amazon. First, it's called The Mammoth Book of Jack the Ripper, Key New Theories, Complete Chronology, Comprehensive A to Z, Essential Documents, and a Full Bibliography. So, the Amazon description is as follows. It is about the volume that collects not just the key factual evidence, but also 20 different arguments as to the identity of Jack the Ripper, such as that advanced by writers and contributions are from the world's leading Ripperologists and including, there's a big list of names here, but I'll just skip that. The identity of Jack the Ripper has plagued professional historians, criminologists, writers, and amateur enthusiasts. The many suspects out there include Montague John Druid, Walter Sickert, Aaron Kosminski, Michael Ostrog, William Henry Burry, Dr. Tumblety, and James Maybrick. The only certainty is that Ripperologists have not found an individual whom they can all agree. The essays are supported by detailed chronology, extensive bibliography, and filmography. All right, so 20 different arguments. There are 20 different takes on the subject, and I really wish that I had read this description first because, as I said, I, I was presented with this section of the book, and yes, it will, will tie into the conspiracy theory in just a second, but... I was like, wow, everything seems to contradict itself. Like, I'm getting this one paragraph on, okay, this is a theory about Zack the Ripper, and then a couple paragraphs later, it it is an absolute contradiction. I was like, well, what is going on? Like, how are both of these things true? Just that. Different writers, different takes on the subject. The book is not putting forward a single interpretation of the evidence. But Jack the Ripper is a serial killer that needs no introduction. And when I was doing the series on the New Orleans Axeman yesterday, no, not yesterday, the day before yesterday, but who's counting? I was reading a section of the book by Miriam Davis that talked about how 
the the victims of the Ripper. Polly Nichols and Annie Chapman, Liz Stride, Catherine Eddowes, and Mary Kelly are perhaps some of the most famous women in the true crime world, and definitely part of perhaps the most famous unsolved murder mystery in the entire world. So, I don't dispute that. I definitely think that the average person would know who Jack the Ripper is, true crime fan or not, and they might even have some basic details. Well, this guy was uh, stalking people in London in the 1800s, and he was attacking women. They probably would be able to give some type of response like that, but yes, just to be clear, several women were murdered in 1888, and really only the summer and the fall. Right now, we've just passed the um, fall equinox, and presently, it is the month of September, but we are now in the season of fall, which I think is one of the best of the year, but that is really when the Ripper came to life. Now, some people believe that the Ripper crime started on August 31st of 1888, and other people believe they started well before that. I won't go into too much of the chronology, but other than state that the Ripper is attributed with the murders of those women that I just listed, Polly Nichols, Annie Chapman, Liz Stride, Catherine Eddowes, and Mary Kelly. Catherine Eddowes and Liz Stride were murdered in what is called the double event, two taking place in one night. But as you can see from the title of this episode, this is going to be about the Jack the Ripper conspiracy theory. And there's a section in this book, the Mammoth Book of Jack the Ripper, written by Nick Warren, talking about just that, the Ripper conspiracy theory. It's called the Great Conspiracy, and the introduction first gives an Oxford English Reference Dictionary uh, description of what a conspiracy is. Conspiracy, a secret plan to commit a crime or do harm, often for political ends. A plot. I can somewhat agree with that. On this channel, Black Box Online Radio, I use the description of a conspiracy is two or more pe people... If I could say it, that would be great. A conspiracy is two or more people plotting and planning behind the scenes, usually for a malicious reason. Um, conspiracies are often have political ends? Absolutely not. I mean, often, that depends on what you're, how you're saying that. I mean, conspiracies can happen in all types of settings. I mean, there can be a conspiracy that is going on in just a social hierarchy. There can be conspiracies that are going on well outside of the political world. If you mean often, just that they happen every month and every year, then sure, but it really depends on your interpretation of those words. But I would just like to um, get right into some of the points that are mentioned in this section, because let's it's interesting to talk about conspiracy theories, and on the second episode I ever did on Black Box Online Radio, it was called True Conspiracy Theories, and I was talking about some of the more mundane aspects of that definition that I mentioned about how two or more people plotting and planning behind the scenes, usually for a malicious reason, and giving all these examples about how that was actually true in cases such as maybe 9-11 truth, and you could even tie that into the Kennedy assassination. Oh yes, people are plotting and planning behind the scenes, and certain details of that are documented, but they're just not as sensational as the media makes it out to be. Or 
They're the less sensational aspects of the case, so they don't get widely discussed. Perhaps that's a better way of putting it. But I also said something that is mentioned directly here in one of the paragraphs in the Mammoth Book of Jack the Ripper, and that is that if you're going to get beyond the political conspiracy, which I think you absolutely have to, many times people hide the truth in law enforcement. And, I mean, forget those words. People who have administrative power use that power to cover up certain mistakes. I only brought up law enforcement because if mistakes are made in the investigation, they make them disappear. They make them go away. They try to hide their own faults. For, the, for just that, they don't want to reveal that they have made key mistakes that have jeopardized an investigation, and this can lead to all sorts of legal calamities in the future. But um, I want to talk about this type of conspiracy theory involving law enforcement and Jack the Ripper. The theory that Jack the Ripper was a policeman is really not that old. During 1888, a number of police officers were denounced to their superiors at Scotland Yard as the murderer for various various reasons, the yard file containing these names has not been lost, but I doubt that its contents were ever very significant. Certainly, they were never taken seriously by the investigating officers at the time. One senior officer has been denounced in, in recent times, Sir Robert Anderson, who was assistant commissioner at Scotland Yard during the latter part of the inquiries and was named as part of a Ripper conspiracy in Stephen Knight's 1976 book without a scintilla, scintilla, S-C-I-N-T-I-L-L-A, maybe scintilla of evidence, new word for me, of being in support of such an allegation. In short, the policeman as a murderer theory, however ingenious, is unlikely to be proved in this case. Police officers have murdered people, but they are considerably less likely to be serial killers than some of the doctors mentioned above. In any event, Stephen Knight's idea was far from original. Another London serial murderer of prostitutes known as Jack the Stripper, 1963-64, to was rumored to have been a senior CID officer who lived with his mother in West London. These rumors went on to implicate the late Detective Chief Superintendent Arthur Tommy Butler, who retired from the Metro Police CID in 1968. He later wrote a series of articles in the Sun newspaper claiming that the original Jack the Ripper had been a deranged midwife abortionist with an accomplice somewhat improbably named Fingers Freddy. Well, I certainly don't know if that's true. A whole lot of things in those couple paragraphs that I just read out. So, point number one. Police officers are less likely to be serial killers. Well, this person has clearly never heard of the Golden State Killer. I mean, that's a prime example of how somebody who is in law enforcement is using their knowledge of how the crimes are investigated against the victims. The Golden State Killer was part of an anti-burglary task force. Yes, these things happen, and to the credit of um, this writer here, who's um, Nick Warren was his name, he does acknowledge it, yes, Police officers can go on to be murderers or serial killers. It's just um, not as frequent as people might think. But I don't think that he should dismiss it that quickly to the point when he's just saying that, oh yeah, well that's not very probable, so I don't think that it's true. Point number two, Roger Kibbe, 
the i5 Strangler, whom I have an episode about on this channel as well. Numerous ones on the Golden State Killer 2, if anyone would like to uh, check out that mystery at the end of this episode. Not really a mystery now that the Golden State Killer and the i5 Strangler have both been captured, but um, still lots to discuss. And what is interesting about Roger Kibbe is that he was not a police officer but his brother was. His brother was a detective. So during their family get-togethers and such, he's just asking loads of questions, which just seemed like he had some type of fascination with his job. He's just making it seem like conversation with his brother. But in reality, he is extracting information that he would use in the crimes that he was going to commit, murdering women and such. That should also not be something that is downplayed. And really, if it's an unsolved case, then... These types of dismissals are very, um, very much, well, premature, just to say that this is highly unlikely, therefore it isn't true, for something that isn't so outrageous that, I mean, just immediately dismissing some type of police conspiracy. And when, I believe this writer Nick Warren is talking about the police conspiracy in the sense that somebody from the police department either had some direct involvement with the Ripper murders, or they use their administrative power to cover it up, or that the Ripper is indeed a police officer who maybe had anatomical knowledge, something to that effect, one of those possibilities. And because they had the power of the badge, they were not apprehended. So I also wanted to point out, though, that even me, who was a practical newcomer to Jack the Ripper before this year, was somewhat familiar with the final line of those um, paragraphs that I was reading out, talking about how the original Jack the Ripper had been a deranged midwife abortionist with an accomplice, somewhat improbably named Fingers Freddy. There's this theory out there that Jack the Ripper was a woman, Jill the Ripper. It's called the Jill the Ripper theory. And that is that just just as um this uh former uh superintendent described that the Ripper was a midwife because she was someone who would have had the excuse of having blood on her clothes and she um wouldn't have been a likely suspect. That's the key to the whole mystery. That's why it was never solved. That there was a single perpetrator who murdered those women back in 1888. A very short time frame for a serial killer to operate. Even less than the um, Zodiac killer's crimes, really. Really only dealing from August to November of 1888. As I said, some people think that there are crimes that have extended outside the canonical Ripper crimes. But, um... Before we get into the next sections in the book, I did say I had something from Brian Davis, who was the host of the Tate LaBianca radio program, and he was talking about how sometimes in a true crime case, there are things that only one person can see. Somebody is going to see something that seems clear as day to them, but other people are going to have less of a... Um, le uh, it's going to be more difficult for them to see that same piece of knowledge. And I began to think, now, what would I want to offer in the true crime world? Like, what is something that I feel that seems clear as day to me, but no one else seems to uh, pay attention to? And I think it is that there is this thing called the Jack the Ripper hoax theory, that there was no single Jack the Ripper 
that it was a media hoax and fake news um, sensation. That, that one is discussed, but what I really notice is that the Ripper hoax is given strong consideration as being true, whereas the Zodiac Killer hoax is absolutely condemned. Both of them would be the same, that somebody or a group of people are writing letters taking credit for crimes that they didn't commit, and then the media is reporting that there is a single perpetrator on the loose, and as I said, I'm mostly a um, mostly a newcomer to Jack the Ripper. I mean, I started um, reading up on the murder of Liz Stride earlier this year in the winter time. It's now um, September, as I said, and then slowly learning about each one of the victims. I really did not want to zone in on the suspects in Jack the Ripper because with the Zodiac Killer, I first began learning about the suspects. And I think that is a horribly, horribly impractical way to go about it. So first, learning about the victims, learning about some of the crime scenes and some of the alternative theories. And there was both a Ripper hoax and a Zodiac Killer hoax, as well as even a New Orleans Axeman hoax. I did a multi-part series on the New Orleans Axeman, and I mean, that one would be one case when I think that this whole media sensation is much, much higher or at least the media is misrepresenting the crimes. With Jack the Ripper, I'm a little bit 50-50. I think that um, it's highly possible, and I'm just so curious as to why it's receiving such positive reception in contrast to the Zodiac hoax. For example, you'll see stuff like written on Whitechapel Jack saying, okay, well, it's not proven that certain Ripper communications were forgeries, but um, it is highly probable. By certain ones, they mean the Dear Boss letter and the Saucy Jack postcard being forged by a journalist named Fred Best. So, just this whole idea that somebody is not actually bragging about committing crimes in his letters, and instead he is... Well, there, there, there's a group of people that are committing the murders. They aren't all committed by the same person. And let's talk about that for a second. Because there's another section here in the Mammoth Book of Jack the Ripper that talks about the murder of Annie Chapman. As I was sitting in that laundromat, I was really reading up on the murder of Annie Chapman, and I encountered these particular paragraphs via the search engine from the Mammoth Book of Jack the Ripper. And first it talks about, um, there's a publication in London called The Lancet, might be The Lancet, L-A-N-C-E-T, and it was the one that reported of Annie Chapman's injuries, and this was done on September 29th of 1888. The abdomen had been entirely laid open, the intestines severed from the meniscentric attachments, whatever the hell that is, and they had been lifted out of the body and placed on the shoulder of the corpse, whilst the pelvis and uterus and its appendages had been entirely removed. Concluding his disposition, deposition, deposition, I can't talk or read today, excuse me, Dr. Phillips became the unsung hero of the Whitechapel murders because he credited the person who had murdered Annie Chapman as being in possession of great anatomical skill. He went on to say that he could not have removed Annie Chapman's uterus in less than 15 minutes, and in proper surgical conditions the operation would have taken the best part of an hour to perform. The mystery which is solved in the report in the Lancet, as well as other similar reports in the British Medical Journal, one of which was not considered at the time to wit how a man, no matter how deranged, could strangle a woman 
cut her throat, and then calm himself sufficiently to perform a delicate operation. Well, I might just have to throw in, in an interjection in there. Many times with psychopaths and sociopaths, you hear people talk about how they do not have that type of um outraged behavior or their pulse doesn't extremely jump up. They have very, very limited reactions to these things that would be very traumatic to other people or very... Well, the the things that would hype up other people, they don't have those exact reactions. So this is something I've encountered in the past. But he calmed himself to sufficiently perform a delicate operation, being the removal of the uterus, and performed the deed in what must have been complete darkness in the back of a court or under a smog-laden sky at about 5 a.m. in autumn of that year. The answer, evidently, is he didn't. What happened is that the murderer excavated a crater in Annie Chapman's middle with a single sweep of a knife, which took some spoil, which contained the uterus away with him in a bag or a container and left some spoil behind, close to the shoulder of the deceased. Now this is credited with the, this credits the murder with murderer with having a practiced hand. The British Medical Journal describes the murderer as being possessed with rough anatomical knowledge. That and I, I think that there's an intentional um, quotation mark around rough anatomical knowledge as opposed to extremely precise, great anatomical skill, the way that this Dr. Phillips would have um, credited it. If the murderer was acquainted with only rough anatomical knowledge, then why did Dr. Phillips credit the perpetrator with great anatomical knowledge? Why, instead of disemboweling, did he choose to report that this was of great delicacy the way it had been performed? The answer could only be that he dis he deliberately misled the inquest for the highest and most defensible of reasons. He had just given evidence under protest, and before the term was coined, he must, as a police surgeon, have been familiar with the concept of what is known as a copycat crime. He clearly feared that copycat killing would be consequential upon his evidence. And um, my interpretation of that paragraph is that they mean to say that this Dr. Phillips thought that if he just says, oh yeah, this person has some rough anatomical knowledge, then somebody else with rough anatomical knowledge would have gone on to commit a similar crime thing, and oh, I can do that, and I can get away with it. On the one hand, as I said, I kind of disagree with that statement that somebody would um, have been completely out of control if they had strangled a woman um, for that psychopathic and sociopathic reason that I stated. But I also think that this really, if this is true, this uh, section of the Mammoth Book of Jack, Jack the Ripper on the murder of Annie Chapman, then, well, think about all of the major descriptions that you've heard of Jack the Ripper, that someone is mutilating the women, and it's most likely someone with great surgical skill. Oh, wait, maybe the Ripper isn't some great surgeon after all. Because I have to tell you, after going through several of the images that um, you can just see on Google by yourself, like, go to Google Images, put in Jack the Ripper, and you see this thing about how there's this aristocrat wearing the top hat and, like, the black coat and such, attacking a woman in a dark alley. 5 a.m. 
in near total darkness performing an operation with great surgical skill. That sounds like I'm tempted to lean toward that section of the book there, that maybe, just maybe, there's only some rough understanding of anatomy and that um, there are these pieces of media that are somewhat misleading, and they even propose intentionally misleading. Now, one problem with that paragraph is, to give some counterbalances, it's almost like mind-reading. Okay, this is what Dr. Phillips was thinking because it's the only possibility. This is what he must have intended because it's the only thing that makes sense. I think that's bordering too much on psychic powers almost. Maybe there's another reason what's going on. I mean, I don't know how anyone could have that level of clairvoyance. And there isn't an exact source cited in for the um for the reasons why Dr. Phillips would have thought that this is why the Ripper is doing what he's doing. I just think it's a very interesting discussion, and it does give you some um, things that you can interpret as the reader yourself. So which one would you uh, lean more toward? Like, I'll just ask that as a challenge question. Do you agree with that statement that you, it would have been impossible to perform a great surgical operation in a dark alley near total darkness at 5 a.m., even if you have a candle or a lantern or something in 15 minutes, or does this person just um, have a rough understanding of anatomy and they um, just made the uh, cuts the way that that paragraph laid out? I mean, like, the real challenge question is, do you think it's possible that someone could have demonstrated masterful surgical skill under those conditions? I'm tempted to lean toward no, because it's... It, as someone who has a very basic understanding and and just a fresh set of eyes on the subject, they make up a very strong point. I mean, it sounds like something that is very convincing. Now, I'm going to go on to another section. In the book where there is this discussion on, was there a single Jack the Ripper? Was there a group of people? Was it the alternative theory that ties into the Ripper hoax that the women are being murdered and cut apart by members of local street gangs in London and that the media simply making you think that there was a single Jack the Ripper. And Dr. Phillips is included in this part. And this is um, a quotation from somebody named Coroner Baxter who says, was there any similarity between the case of Annie Chapman and the case of Long Liz Stride. And yes, um, that's the uh, way that her name is written out, Long Liz Stride. Of course, her name was Elizabeth Stride. She was originally born in Sweden, Elizabeth Gustav's daughter. But she's frequently referred to in the Ripper lore as Liz Stride. So, the um, that's the question that has been posed to Dr. Phillips by Coroner Baxter. Dr. Phillips responds by saying, There is great dissimilarity... In Chapman's case, the neck was severed all around, down to the vertebral column, the vertical bone being marked, and there had been an evident attempt to sever the bones. With the murder of Liz Stride, which occurred, um, is the third, it's the third, um, Ripper event in the canonical crimes, part of the double event, as I said, there's the time when Liz Stride and Catherine Eddowes are murdered on the same night. Now, 
I've always said from the beginning that I thought there's about a 10% chance that Liz tried was actually murdered by the same person. And the reasons for that is, just look, when I did the episode looking at the timeline, it seemed like somebody, the alleged suspect, is spending an enormous amount of time with Liz Stride, following her along, and they see this man and the woman walking, and there's some misinfo out there, but he just seems like he is spending ages with her, and then, okay, she's murdered, and then this, according to the Saucy Jack postcard, that the victim squealed, so he had to find somebody else, and it, he found his next victim so quickly, it's like if he could have lured somebody to a secluded area, or have um, had access to another victim in such an opportune way, why on earth would the, there be all these um, witness sightings of this uh, suspicious character following Liz Stride around? I'm, I'm horribly, um, horribly skeptical of that. But, I mean, this section of the Mammoth Book of Jack the Ripper says, clearly there were different perpetrators, and it is a wonder that the significance of this evidence was not more closely examined by the police or picked up by the press. Well, if you put it into context, I mean, let's say hypothetically the Ripper is one person, and that thing in the Saucy Jack postcard is true, that the victim squealed, so he ha he got interrupted, and um, he didn't feel that he had the sufficient amount of um, security to perform any type of mutilation. That points to one thing that I've always stated. Even if you think there is a Ripper hoax, it's not about the murders. It's about the mutilations. It's about cutting up the bodies and making some type of statement. Or I shouldn't even say statement. It's about the mutilations. Because Liz Stride was not mutilated and I believe, if I recall from doing an episode on her in the past, she was the only victim to have been murdered south of Whitechapel Road. But don't quote me on that one. The next paragraph is, It was a highly irresponsible attitude. Inquests should not be contaminated by testimonies given in other specific deaths. In this case, the coroner's reference to Annie Chapman's death was idle and self-indulgent and rumor-mongering. If Coroner Baxter's conduct during the inquest was professionally irresponsible, his conduct is summing up that Longlist Stride's inquest first on the criminally irresponsible and utterly inexcusable. He appears to have selected the only evidence supported what has been by then the widespread notion that Jack the Ripper had been disturbed at the approach of Lewis Deem shoots on the horse-drawn cart and having to flee before he could disembowel Longlist Stride and... He left the scene, and then found Catherine Eddowes in Mitre Square some 15 minutes later, a wholly preposterous notion. I mean, that's it, though. He found Catherine Eddowes so easily. Why would there be somebody um, spending all this time trying to uh, walk down the streets with Liz Stride? And if I recall from the timeline, it's well over an hour that they're spending together, or that there's sightings of Liz Stride seen with walking with somebody wearing like an overcoat and such. But I don't want to uh, speculate too much on that because my memory's a little bit hazy. I think that the. I mean, when you put that into context, it does raise um, it does raise doubt that there could be reasons why the the slashing of the throat in Liz Stride's Maria. She was slashed across the throat. So, um, 
why that could be different. So I guess I'm going down the pathway of I'm not believing anybody in this one. But I began the episode by talking about the Jack the Ripper conspiracy theory. And that is that that somebody had a connection in law enforcement. Maybe somebody from law enforcement is genuinely involved. And they use their powers, a member of law enforcement, so they wouldn't be apprehended. I just really didn't like that paragraph that was purely dismissive. And for the other sections in the book of Jack the Ripper, I think that if these testimonies are true, somebody is heavily leaning toward multiple perpetrators. No matter what theory you go with in the Ripper case, it is widely accepted that there could be multiple perpetrators. Not everybody thinks there's a single Ripper. There are many people out there who believe there was a single Jack the Ripper. There are many people who are like, hey, absolutely, different people are committing these crimes. And... um it's it's more than one person who's committing the murders with the zodiac killer theory the four canonical crimes which totaled five murders most people who look into the zodiac case think that there was a single perpetrator who did all that and any type of group murder theory multiple killers theory or hoax theory is mostly rejected in the ripper case it is given strong consideration. Now, it's not universally accepted, and it's not like everybody has some type of agreement. That is one of the reasons why they made this book, the Mammoth Book of Jack the Ripper, because they wanted to say that he, these 20 writers that they have found, they have one thing in common. They all are in not, they, they all aren't in agreement. They all do not agree on the same thing, and that one I can agree with. But what do you think about Jack the Ripper? And um, do you think that um, somebody, even a well-trained surgeon, could have performed operations, like performed like skillful surgery at 5 o'clock in the morning in near total darkness in an alleyway and actually been successful in that with great surgical skill? What do you think about that? Um, if you would like to respond, please say anything you want in the comment section down below. If you want to talk about the Ripper hoax theory, the Zodiac killer, anything that we've mentioned in this episode on Jack the Ripper, please share your ideas down below. And you can get the Mammoth Book of Jack the Ripper on Amazon.com. Thank you so much for listening, and see you on Instagram for the bonus podcast. Until next time.